Around the world, natural disasters and tragedies strike every week, and during these tough times, we often see the best in human nature thanks to donations and charity work. However, despite good intentions, a lot of money and resources are lost to waste and fraud. In today's episode, we speak with Nasa Mishler, the co-founder and CEO of Everest Effect, an AI-driven crisis recovery marketplace removing waste and fraud from donations with transparency, so that the people affected by crises can get the exact help they need at the moment they need it. In its most basic form, Everest Marketplace verifies the identity and need of those affected by the crisis to request a basket of items at $100 or less. Those who wish to give can fill those baskets. Nasa explains how disorganization, also known in the industry as the second disaster, can be counterproductive when it comes to donations, highlighting the example of winter coats being sent to Haiti following the earthquake in 2010. She also explains why fraud is such a big issue within charity work, and how Everest Effect tackles this through its verification process to ensure the right people are getting help. Additionally, Nasa speaks about the current situation the United States faces in terms of crisis recovery from the pandemic. And finally, we dissect the psychology behind donations and how Everest Effects taps into this. Now, if you like this episode, some other Brains Bite Back episodes you should check out are Teaching Emotional Regulation Through Children's Video Games, Chatbots at the Frontline of Online Therapy, and Suicide Prevention Using Predictive AI. And don't forget to follow Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. You're listening to Brains Bite Back, your podcast exploring the intersection between psychology and technology. Um, Nasa, <laughs> can you tell our listeners who you are and a little bit about your background? Everest Effect, please. Sure. I'm thrilled to be here. My name is Nasa Mishler. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Everest Effect. Our mission is to accelerate crisis recovery, so connecting verified people in need with individuals and organizations that want to help. Um, the reality is that you know these events and crises are occurring um, almost every week, and a lot of these issues that we've seen have just been exacerbated by the pandemic, and it's taking people sadly you know decades to recover um, if they're able to recover at all. My background is um, in tech and financial services. I spent about 20 years in, in corporate America and in product marketing and, and business development for companies like City and LinkedIn and WeWork, um, always focused on using tech to build these big global solutions for their customers. Um, but I've always been someone who thinks about these bigger societal issues. Um, it's certainly manifested and shown up in different experiences in my life. But um, back in 2017, if you recall, there were you know half a dozen disasters that were happening all around the world and a few of us were watching them play out and we kept seeing you know these patterns with these inefficiencies in the system and became obsessed with with the problem uh, and you had uh, these individuals and organizations you know trying to do good in the space um, but there was just so much waste and fraud and coming from this this world of marketplace technology and identity management we thought you know why has no one applied that same thinking to crisis recovery and and that's when Everest effect was born Awesome. Well, I have to say, I think the, the motivation behind this is very admirable. And you're absolutely right in the sense that there's a lot of needs that pop up and catastrophes, unfortunately, that we, we need to tackle. And I think last month, obviously, with many southern U.S. states being battered by snowstorms was a, a reminder of that. And you mentioned there about waste and fraud. And that's something that I've heard of before in charity being an issue. 
But personally, I don't really know or understand what the issue is here, or I don't have a granular understanding. And I think many people might. Maybe they're in the same boat as me. So would you be able to explain why is waste and fraud such a big issue with, within charity work? Sure. So and a lot of it is the psychology of, of how we are as humans. So there's this beautiful thing that, that happens, um, a beautiful thing about humanity is when people are in need, people are compelled to help. And it's what connects us in these tragic moments. Um, we saw some great examples of this over the past year. The problem is there are the two issues within waste. It's there's no transparency into what's needed. And so people think to themselves, well, these people have lost everything. Let me send them anything. And that's truly what happens. You have you know, more than half of these in-kind donations are going to waste. Um, we've seen this time and time again. Um, I, I often use the example of, of in, when the earthquake in Haiti happened, people were sending winter coats. And so it's these example, all these examples of good intentions that they not only go to waste, but they actually end up interfering with recovery so much so that they, they call it the, the um, second disaster. So no transparency. And then the other piece is redistribution. And what a lot of people don't realize is there's often enough to go around. Um, at times, yes, the supply chain can be strained, but the issue is really around how are these resources distributed to the right people in these moments. Um, and we're seeing this, this in real time with food waste. You have in, in the US alone, there's you know over 50 million Americans that are food insecure. It's most of these people, it's um, or more than half for the first time. And food waste is the highest it's ever been. And so those are the kinds of issues and, and how we're starting to think about waste and redistribution and then bringing transparency to these needs. Um, and then in terms of fraud, it, it's not unique to the nonprofit space. Um, while the nonprofits, I would say, account for about 20% of fraud in the US, um, it's certainly something we've seen play out across government and the private sector as well. Uh, and the CARES Act was you know, we saw that um, you know play out quite a bit. As you can imagine, there was a lot of pressure from government to get these payments out. Oh, you had three hundred and sixty billion dollars that was distributed earlier in the year, and over ten percent of it was lost to fraud, uh, which is probably actually a lot higher. And the sad part is, you have people that are trying to game the system at the expense of others, um, and those are the people that actually need it most. And, and they're not only getting these resources, but it's creating more barriers where the government's saying, okay, we have to add these additional verification requirements or delay benefits. Um, in some cases, people weren't receiving benefits at all because they couldn't prove that they were who they say they are. Um, so between the waste and the fraud, and when we look at sort of solving the, the root cause and creating systematic change, um, that's why we're approaching it this way. Yeah, it's it's sad that these are issues that are so prevalent when people need help the most. And that Haiti example is just baffling. I can't. <laughs> I'm that I'm so surprised it's, that anyone would consider that at all. Like to send winter coats there. Damn. <laughs> but um, I would love. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And now I would love to understand a little bit more about how it works. So perhaps if mm -hmm. you can explain how the process works from the perspective of someone who needs some help and how they are verified? Sure, so we support people uh, that could be impacted by a natural disaster. They could be experiencing an everyday crisis like losing a job. Um, in some cases, it's both, which with, with COVID this past year, we've, we've seen quite a bit. We, had, we just supported a family who, um, one of them had lost their jobs during COVID. They were hit by the actually two storms last year and now more recently Storm Uri. And so a member of their family, they you know, came directly to our platform, everesteffect.com. We have a very simple register of these people, where they are you know, mentally and emotionally, um, to make it very simple for them to register and onboard. 
And then we invite them to share a little bit about their situation. Um, and then what happens on our side is it's a few things. So we use leading verification technology, um, very similar to what you would see in financial services to make sure that um, you are Sam, who you claim to be. And then we use our proprietary score to understand, you know, what resources does this person need based on who they are. Um, and then once they're verified, they can go on and create a basket of resources based on what they need, um, who knows better than them. So we, we give them the, the ability to do that. And we started a partnership with Walmart um, to focus on delivering supplies, physical supplies like diapers and food and, and batteries. Um, we added TaskRabbit for, um, for those, and, and it's a global company, um, and this idea of helping people with home repair or grocery delivery. And we'll continue to add on you know, other brands and services over time, um, you know, spanning everything from housing to mental health services. Um, and then on the other side of the marketplace, you have this one-to-one -one model where individuals and, and institutions can um, purchase these items on behalf of the people that have requested it. So essentially shopping for those in need and 100% of that money you know, goes to these verified needs for verified people, um, which is a way to create this you know, ecosystem of, of fraud-free philanthropy. Excellent. Now, I don't know if you touched upon it then in the description, mm -hmm. um, maybe not specifically, but looking on your website, I understand that Everest Effect is described as an AI-driven crisis recovery marketplace. Mm -hmm. Can you explain how AI is used in this process? Yeah, so sort of look at it from a higher level. And when you look at society, we, we have a way to measure virtually everything, right? When it comes to being accepted into school, your credit score, um, a number of different things, but there's actually no way to holistically understand and measure someone in crisis. Um, and so we developed this score to help us understand a few things. Number one is, as I mentioned, are people getting the right resources in the context of, of, of who they are? And some of it's based on their measurable circumstances, like in the case of a natural disaster, their proximity to a crisis, um, some of its explicit behavior that is on Everest, the Everest Effect platform, and then also pulling in these implicit signals that are um, you know, compiled from external data, data sources. So do you have a job? How much do you make? Um, risk factors, including health and education. Um, are you part of uh, a SNAP program in the States? Do you, um, are you a homebound senior or a single parent? So all of these things that, in, and we, we call it basically making the invisible visible um, and bringing light to people that would otherwise get lost in the system. And a, you know, a good example of this is when you think about people in this, the service industry, you have hairdressers and restaurant workers and a lot of people that over the last year have technically been employed um, and they might be severely underemployed or in some cases not making money at all, but the system is not set up to serve them. And so, um, and even going back to food insecurity, right? It's such a big issue and oftentimes people are, are taking the money that they do have to cover fixed expenses and then using whatever's left for food. So we're looking at it in terms of how do you start to, to quantify needs and, and by no means is it ever to create more barriers in, in a world where everyone that deserves, deserves help should get it. Um, but even taking it one step further, one thing we're thinking about is how can this also become more predictive for those people who are basically one bill away from crisis. And you hear the, the sad stories of someone who like their car broke down and they couldn't get to work and they lost their job and then they got evicted and it's this horrible cycle. And so how can we start to use this technology to intervene before they go into crisis? 
Um, and then you can imagine it's, it's obviously relevant on the micro level, but as we start to talk to um, you know, different governments and countries, you can imagine looking at how much value it can drive on the macro level as well. That reminds me of, a, I think, a quote I heard, or not a quote, a statistic rather, and I, I don't have a source for this, but it's something along the lines of like 40% of Americans don't have the funds to support themselves or cover like an unexpected, like I think four or $500 bill. So if something goes wrong and they don't have the finances to cover that, and that could be something very simple, like a car breaking down or something within the house. And the craziest thing is I, I think that figure is so high. And again, I don't have um, um, a source for this, so I can't back it up. So I actually looked into this fact after the interview and I was wrong. In 2016, Forbes published an article stating that 63% of Americans don't have enough savings to cover a $500 emergency bill. And while this article was published five years ago, I reckon it's just as relevant today, given the state of the pandemic. At the same time, it kind of reflects on, on what you're saying and also what I'm hearing from other places as well. So there's definitely the need for this, but you've touched on some like kind of general cases. What are some case studies you can share where Everest effect has been able to make a real difference? So I'll, I'll talk about COVID. Um, we're still living it and we've all experienced it to a certain degree, but um, you know, we, one of our main differentiators is we look at recovery holistically. And so in, in the case of a natural disaster, a lot of the funds come in at the beginning. And then when the media moves on, people move on. And with COVID, it's, it's been a cycle. And what we've seen and what we've been able to adapt to with the needs of our users is, you know, in the early weeks and months, people were struggling with food and soap and, and toilet paper. And then as time went on, it was diapers and um, personal hygiene products, um, even actually air mattresses for families that were living together. And then towards the spring, what we started to see and then the summer was you had these school districts that couldn't support um, distance learning and the digital divide was just massive and the gap was widening. And it was a, a new use case for us. And while we knew, we know that, you know, what we're building has applications, you know, in a number of different areas. Um, we, act, we partnered with um, a school in New York and a, a partner called Counseling in Schools uh, that focuses on mental health and education. And what we're actually able to help them do is get supplies to thousands of families. Um, many of them were lower income families in the area um, to help during this time because there really wasn't a central place for them to um, be with them and distribute these goods. And so it was a great example of how our technology, while we had always, um, you know, to date had been thinking about these episodic events, um, it was a great way to, to understand and see how it could be used in other ways. Yeah, you saying that actually reminds me of a video I saw on BBC. I think it was showing a family and they had children and they took advantage of something the government offered or the schools offered where they would equip school buses with Wi-Fi and they, and they would situate them in certain areas because some many families like didn't have uh, access to the internet or Wi-Fi and uh, their kids would have to spend their entire school day like out in a car learning from a laptop um mm -hmm. parked by this, these school buses and i think that definitely for me highlighted uh, the digital divide that you spoke of there hopefully you're enjoying the show and if you are make sure you subscribe and never miss an episode you can find us on all your usual podcast sites spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher podcast addict and a whole lot more including youtube and we want to hear what you think so be sure to leave us a review. Just search Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know, like, 
what figures can you share to show the impact of Everest effect has had overall, if any? Sure. So, I mean, just in the last year, we've helped thousands of families, um, you know, both in the one-to-one -one giving model and also starting to work more with these community-based organizations who are serving, you know, a lot of these, um, you know, a lot of these people, but a lot of the people, but they're focused maybe on one aspect, like feeding the families or um, helping them in the mental health area. So trying to find more partners um, to reach more of them. But um, what's been exciting to share as we think about the ecosystem of fraud-free donations is nearly all of our users um, have been verified with um, and that they have the real needs and that we are serving, you know, the right kind of community in terms of, you know, finding these folks and being able to help them when they need it most. Um, as I mentioned earlier, 100% of the money that people um, use to shop for these, these um, communities have gone directly to those in need. Uh, and then I would say lastly, and it's in my mind the best example of all because it's sort of that full circle vision is we've had a number of people that have requested help and um, are actually in a position to pay it forward um, and to shop for, for others in need. And, and in my mind, that's the best definition of, of recovery and impact that I can think of. Yeah, I think pay it forward is, is a good motto for everyone to live by. And I remember that when uh, I came across or when Everest Effect first came across my radar and I was looking into it, the first thing that came to mind is those programs where you sponsor someone and then you kind of get updates on how they're doing and where your money's going. And that is the closest association I had in my mind of what you're doing, um, even though I know that's something separate. Um, mm -hmm. Do those that donate get to see the impact or are able to communicate with the individual or individuals at the end that receive the support? Yes, yeah, so it's it's a for those of you that um, follow psychology. I mean, it's a very important principle in giving when and a very important aspect of, of aspect of our platform is um, from a behavioral standpoint. You can actually inspire more good by focusing on an individual um, and and their story and just humanizing you know who these people are and it it drives significant engagement. Um, and also, you know, helps power the score I was talking about earlier. So we want to still maintain um, anonymity for a lot of these users uh, on the flip side, even if people have lost everything or started with nothing, they aren't always comfortable asking for help or asking for handouts. And so there, it is a balance, but when people go on and they want to help, they can, um, you know, filter by story, see where these people live, um, see the items that they're requesting. And in some cases they, you know, might have an affinity for pets or people with children. Uh, and then upon you know, buying these items, they actually can write a note of encouragement to the recipient. Um, and now what we're trying to do is, and as we think about this, this community aspect is how can we create that connection, but then do it in a way where people feel, um, you know, comfortable and feel like their privacy is still, um, is still being met. So we, um, we often think about the effect and how we can start to create more of that. And um, it's been an important I would say piece of the platform and something that is certainly, you know, resonated with our users on both sides. Awesome. Now for my final question, mm -hmm. you touched on it ever so slightly at the start of that uh, most recent answer you gave, but in your opinion, how does Everest effect stand to change the psychology of donations and gift giving? So, you know, going back to the very beginning of, of when we started chatting is, you know, people are, are human and it just sometimes feels better to, to give something that's tangible you know, rather than writing a check. And, and I completely get that. I do think what's great about Everest Effect is we are allowing people to give tangible resources that we know people need and they can do it in a very safe way. 
and we did research around this and this concept of people, you know, shopping for others. And it's actually helped us attract some really great partnerships to drive this at scale um, and our ambition to be a global company and, and shining a positive like brand halo on, on these companies. But I think it's also reframing what recovery is and isn't. And in the past, it's often, and you see reports where it's measured by dollars donated rather than these communities returning to normalcy. And I think that's really important when you go back to what you were saying earlier of, you know, sometimes people just need $500 when you hear, you know, hundreds of billions in giving, like what is that doing? Um, and if all of that money is coming in at the beginning, how can we create more of a sustainable ecosystem? Um, when you look at recovery is actually one of the most underfunded and overlooked areas, and it doesn't need to be that way. Um, so something we're working through actually is, is actually creating a return on donation metric um, so that people can understand the impact. And, and I think it's, um, it's as important as building the right solution because you know, people, they need to understand that the impact they're having. And I think the fact that you know, we're, we're so close to doing that um, is, is exciting. I think it's very exciting. And I have to say, thank you for the work you're doing, because I think this is very admirable and it sounds like you're helping uh, a very large number of people. And if people do want to help or donate, how can they do that? And if people want to keep up with you or reach out to you, how can they do that? Sure. So they can visit us at everesteffect.com. Um, we are supporting a number of, of communities right now. So you can go on and see the, um, the stories and the people that are that are in need um, for those of you that do want to help. Um, we're also on social media at Everest Effect. Um, and then you can follow me at my name um, across all platforms, uh, Nasa Mishler. Excellent. Thank you so much, Nasa. Thank you. Growing a company has many hurdles from securing funding to expanding your business capabilities to ranking better on search. Each business challenge is uniquely complex. The solution to these challenges is growth-focused digital PR and marketing, and that is where our sponsor, Publicize, comes in. Publicize sets itself apart from traditional PR companies. It doesn't charge large retainers or churns out press releases whether you've got a newsworthy announcement or not. Publicize builds your business's online presence and gets high-quality PR and media coverage for startups and entrepreneurs who are priced out of a broken PR industry. And for a limited time only, exclusive to Brains Bike Back listeners, you can receive an SEO assessment as part of your package for any tier of service at no extra charge with this special promotion. To find out more, visit publicize.co slash BBB. That's publicize.co slash BBB. This is the end of today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this and you want to hear more episodes just like it, then follow and subscribe to Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts. We're also available on YouTube under the channel of our publication, The Sociable. Just search Brains Bite Back and you'll find all of our episodes there. We really love hearing what you have to say. So leave us a review on iTunes or on any other podcasting platform to let us know what you think. You can also reach out on Twitter at, at The Sociable. And finally, go to sociable.co where you can find all our episodes and plenty of articles on topics just like this. Thanks again for joining us and until next time, stay safe and stay healthy. Stay healthy.